The first cell phone was demonstrated in 1973 by Martin Cooper. You know what wasn't demonstrated? Shared plans. Over 50 years later, you can save on one line thanks to Visible. When you switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible, you can get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon for just 25 bucks a month, taxes and fees included. No hidden fees. No, really. You can look around for them. They're not there. Switch now at Visible.com. Save on wireless without the hassle. Switch to Visible today and save at Visible.com. Monthly rate on the Visible plan for data management practices and additional terms. Visit Visible.com. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Welcome once again to IGN's weekly PlayStation podcast. I'm your host, Max Scoville. This is episode 837. We should really call it episode 830 Final Fantasy VII Rebirth because that is what we're going to be talking about today. I am joined by my Final Fantasy friends, Nick Lamone, Michael Hyam, who reviewed the game, and Jada Griffin. Beyond, everybody. What's up? Beyond. Beyond. So. I was supposed to say. You, yeah, you got to say beyond. That's your, yeah. Ooh, that, that G is, it's, it's that G is doing a lot of work back here. <laughs> <laughs> so Michael is a, a free, freelancer who's, uh, you, you may know him from other, you know, GameSpot, other rival, you know, what is it? <laughs> uh, patriarch of the GameSpot family, subsidiary of the <laughs> CBS Interactive clan or whatever. No, um, we don't claim CBS no more. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're all pals though. Um, but yeah, you yeah. so you reviewed Rebirth. Um, before we get into it too much, that's what we're going to be talking about today. We're just going to be talking about Final Fantasy Rebirth. We've all we've collectively, I think, probably sunk pro- four hundred hours into it. Something? No, three hundred fifty hours. No, maybe? no, we're, we're we're probably up to four hundred with me. Okay, yeah, it's a it is a massive, massive game. There's a lot to talk about. We are going to be steering as clear of spoilers as possible. I think there's plenty to touch on that is. Uh, you know, not not story spoilers or anything like that. That said, if you're trying to go in cold, maybe save this for after you've played a little bit more. Um, yeah, I haven't I haven't finished the game yet. Um, I have I think I sunk about 35 hours in, and I'm maybe halfway. Uh, what, what did how did how did all of you clock in for this, Nick? Uh, for me, I finished the game last night uh, as you know day before recording, and I ended up putting 89 hours in and 20 minutes. And that's doing mo- like I think I ninety seven percented the game, uh, but those final three percent, I was like, nah, I think I'm gonna have to wait for that. <laughs> Michael, what about you? Ooh, I came in at eighty two hours by the time I wrapped up the game, and that I had to leave uh, quite a few pieces of side content on the table just because of uh, you know how demanding that stuff is. It's and we'll talk about how like great a lot of that side content is, but it is. A lot. I think a lot of people are going to underestimate how massive this game is. Um, but yeah, that's a that was a that was a good eighty-two hours. A lot of it was lost to playing Queen's Blood. Oof, Oof. Y'all ain't ready. Love for me that. some Queen's Blood. Love me some Move Queen's over, Blood. Gwen. Yeah. Uh, Jada, what about you? What's your what's your clock? I am literally in the final fight right now. Of uh, like literally paused in the final fight as of this morning. <laughs> I am at a buck twenty for hours right now, and that's with every wow. single side quest done, every single mini game, max score, perfect score, 
every Queen's oh Blood gosh. challenge done, every Chocobo race, everything yeah. like perfect, basically done across the board. Everybody's max leveled. Um, most of my materia is maxed. Um, I have to finish the story before I can do a few more of the arena stuff that doesn't open up till you finish the the campaign. Um, but uh, that's all I have left after I finish this final fight. Teacher's pet over here. Good God. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, so I saw yeah, I've I uncovered think... all the fog in the map. There's no fog on my map. That's amazing. Yeah, no, so I, I mean, right off the bat, like anybody who played the first one, like that was, you know, that was what, like around 30 if you just kind of... Yeah, if you just read it. Mainland. Yeah, that mainline, was... yeah. Honestly, that that almost feels like that that almost feels like a demo by comparison. Like that mm -hmm. that feels like a you know a ground zeros to this is this is Phantom Pain. You know, like it is it is mm -hmm. such a ridiculously huge departure. Uh, it's you know it's it's the it's the overworld. It is a proper mm -hmm. you know they 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 let you out. Um, I guess yeah. Let's, let's let's just talk about that. Like the sheer scale of the world. Um, I am Michael, I am I'm curious about how they're going to do because you know how that when you boot up this one it has the story so far and they released a trailer and stuff like that. I am curious how they're going to fit all the story events so far for the third part, based <laughs> on what we've seen. Like that's going to be a ten minute video, like minimum, that we're going to have to watch. The yeah. so the story so far doesn't even touch on uh, Crisis Core or Integrate. I don't think. Because I didn't, oh, I didn't. It does play eventually. Those. It does. I mean, the this, this, this story so far. I mean, I'm sure the game. I know the game touches on that, but like, I was like, oh, oh the story so far, yeah. Yeah, I didn't play those. I should probably find out what's going on. And it's just yeah. like it just recaps the main game. And I was like, okay, well, I hope I don't. You know, yeah. This is there's a there's a lot here. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's it's it is a it is an open world game. Um, it has some of the most it has a lot of modern open world game sensibilities like it has it has towers you have to clear out it has like you know little you know, treasure hunts and activities and stuff like that it still does have some kind of like i feel like vestigial remnants of you know classic jrpg overworld you know like there's definitely there's a sense of a little bit of rigidity um michael you talk about sort of traversal being a little clunky in your review you want to talk about that a little bit oh sure yeah i mean Overall, I, I I really like what they do with the open world in terms of how they um, kind of fill it in with tasks that feel meaningful or at very least they're fun to do. Um, and like when you step into the grasslands, it's a it's a pretty it's a more of a like a basic uh, overworld to kind of get your get your feet wet and how this game actually functions. Um, but once you go to the other regions such as uh, Junon and uh, and Corel. And the various other ones, which I mean, I'm not sure how how y'all feel about actually naming them. You've if you've watched the state of play, you know where this game goes. If you played the original, you know where this goes. But uh, as you unlock the chocobos uh, to actually traverse those those different areas, you see that they're kind of built differently. Where um, one of the regions feels more like a labyrinthian maze, and you have to kind of figure out these how these launch pads take you to one section of the map as opposed to just like walking over there because in the grasslands if you see something out in the distance you might have to take a detour to get to that point uh, as you have to do with some of the side quests but as you get on and on these things get a little bit more complicated um, and some and I, I appreciate the break in pace and how uh, traversing the overworld kind of becomes part of the process 
uh, and how you engage with the game itself rather than just like fast traveling to an icon or whatever, or just beelining it to whatever icon you mark on your map. So it becomes a uh, part of the experience itself, figuring out how to actually navigate this world. That does cause some frustrations, though, because they try to get cute with it with a lot of different gimmicks, especially like in the Cosmo Canyon region and how you your chocobo takes flight and all this. And I guess becomes a little bit much but i do appreciate that they try to keep things varied as you go on in the game because this is such a long game and i think it, you can run into a lot of repetition with open world style games that do last this long so i like the idea sometimes the execution isn't fully there um so that's just one thing to that uh, i definitely noticed and took into consideration yeah, One kinda, thing I, I oh, go, sorry, go ahead, Max. I was gonna say they kind of showed this off in the in the state of play. Like we get a sense of the yeah. different, you know, the different ways you can get around. I remember a lot of us early on were like, wait, what, you get a segue? Like why? And it completely <laughs> makes sense in the context of the game. Like it actually, I was kind of surprised at how ordinary it feels and how it just it works. Uh that segue absolutely mops the floor with the one from Yakuza. I, you know, I really hate to just kind of come out and say that. I think it's just it is far I, away. You don't have to pay to recharge it. Is that why? You don't, yeah, you don't have to pay to recharge it. It is fast as hell. It got the adaptive mm -hmm. triggers on there. It's great. It's a great time. Really, just I I'm, can't put sick flames on it though. <laughs> that's true. That's true. But uh, but you yeah, got multiple no, I, ones to choose from. You got multiple ones to choose from. So there you go. Yeah. As for customization, we do get to dress up our chocobos quite a bit. There's a lot of um. I, I this is honestly like trying to talk about a game of this scale. It's always kind of hard to just kind of come out swearing. Hi, we've got four people who've sunk a hundred, hundreds, hundreds of hours into this thing. What do we talk about? I don't know. Chocobo hats. Like you don't even know. Like there's no there's no sensible way to kind of get off the ground here. But like, yeah, I want to just. Uh... My partner had mentioned a character he saw in a cutscene, and I was like, "What character are you talking about?" And it was I had to think because it was like thirty hours since I had seen this character, and I was like. <laughs> oh, that's the guy you were talking about. Like, there's just so much in this game. Um, to Michael's point about like how, you know, repetition and stuff and being worried about that with the chocobos changing. Um, I started to feel a little bit of that kind of burnout of repetition around like, what is it, I think chapter four or five, because I felt like I was doing the same thing over and over again. But then the next couple chapters starts to vary it. And then it kind of it they did a really good job with the pacing in this one because as soon as i finished i think it was like six seven and eight chapters like it went back to doing other stuff and i was like oh the repetition doesn't feel like overused anymore like mm -hmm. they did a really good job with the pacing in this one so um but yeah there's there's so much stuff um speaking of chocobo hats i have so many chocobo hats for my chocobo like <laughs> my chocobo looks like a big dork um whereas like like almost like a mad hatter kind of like alice well, in like wonderland hours, i would hope your chocobo is the stupidest looking bird i've ever it, seen like i that. think it's so i think my main um i won all the races with my yellow chocobo i didn't use any of the other colored chocobos for the races um but i think my my go-to was like the this like goofy ceremonial like mad hatter hat a hawaiian scarf shirt that it oh, wears yeah. and then i switched the like leg guards between um these like uh, leather paddings or these like dragon plated guardings or whatnot, just depending on what courses I'm racing on. This is what people want to hear about when we talk about this highly anticipated <laughs> PlayStation Five console exclusive, massively anticipated sequel. Uh, we should we should talk about the the core the core combat experience because it, yeah. I feel like it it if you played if you play the last one i honestly if you didn't play the last one what are you doing um i don't know why you would it doesn't it's not gonna make any sense um but it takes a lot of the systems introduced there which were which were good it was a really there was a very solid foundation there 
it really expands on it in a super fun and interesting way. Uh, and I think the, the big thing, obviously, is like synergy attacks. Like, Michael, can you can you explain synergy attacks? Concisely? Yes. This is uh, all right. Uh, I try. I did this in writing. Uh, let me see if I could do this uh, here. <laughs> synergy attacks are basically partner-based abilities that you kind of build on through what are called. So, you, okay, let me take it back a step. Actually, so folios are like a sphere grid, and these sphere grids <laughs> are for each character, and you get a get a pool of skill points to spend on unlocking things in you. I'm going to call it Sphere Grid. I'm just going to call it Sphere Grid because I think that's a universal language similar, that Final yeah. Fantasy people understand. Here are the call folios. Let's call it Sphere Grid. But you you end up getting uh, specific partner attacks for specific combinations of characters. So uh, like Cloud and Barrett have their own. Yuffie and Tifa will have their own. Uh, everyone will have their own combination of synergy attacks. And these kind of... I describe them as attacks that can fill in the gaps in battle. So you're not just waiting to build ATB. You have something to work with. So the way it works is like the more that character spends, if they spend an ATB bar, they get one charge uh, towards a synergy attack. And usually they take like three or four for each character to unlock a synergy attack in battle. And you can use that free of ATB. So it's something to work towards uh, and kind of another way to encourage you to be aggressive in combat. It's like, yo, I really want to use the synergy attack because not only does it put on a bunch of damage, but then it, it can either like give you unlimited MP for a certain amount of time. It could fill your limit gauge bar. There's always a uh, an incentive that you get on top of doing the damage with the partner attack. Uh, so it's kind of uh, giving you an extra tool and a toolbox that was already kind of an embarrassment of riches, I think. Um, it, and, yeah, I feel, I feel yeah. like you you kind of in your review you talk about how it's sort of it really it feels like a missing component almost. Mm -hmm. um like it, it and honestly there's a, there's sort of an interesting loop here where basically you know you you go in and you kick some ass you block some stuff to, to build up your atb gauge you fill up your atb gauge you do you know abilities or spells or whatever and then spending those atb bars lets you do a synergy attack and one of them splits your atb gauge so you can have like you can basically do more of that so it kind of like yeah. it sort of snowballs um mm -hmm. i i was totally expecting these to just be like you know buddy buddy powered special moves but it's like considerably more complex than that and also like it it would doesn't it like it sort of devalues them if you use them the same one too much or it like it raises the cost so like uh barrett um and clouds like they'll raise your limit uh break level by one and i think at level when you first use the ability it costs three synergy bars for each character mm -hmm. um and then if you want to do it again with them it costs five um five synergy bars to raise their limit break to level three um this is I, I really like the system. It encourages you to swap between characters because I I noticed a lot mm -hmm. of times early on I wasn't getting a lot of synergy attacks and it's because I was just sitting there mainlining Cloud. I was like I'm only using Cloud right now. It's like oh I probably should switch over to Barrett and use some of his abilities, um, and that kind of really forced me to start building my characters almost class based. So I like I turned Barrett into like a full on tank healer. Like mm -hmm. he just yeah. is all about like absorbing all the damage from everybody like if you played the if you played remake he, his lifesaver ability is back so he takes all the damage for everybody um and then i just gave him a chakra material so then he just re, re, uh, regens a bunch of hp for one section of atv and charges his synergy gauge um so i just did that uh, a bunch with him and i did the same thing with other characters but yeah I think it's also just the mark of an, an inherent good system of 
uh, designs that all work together to kind of complement one another to kind of just make you have the most fun at all times when you are playing through the game. Mm -hmm. And I think it's also reflected in the open world. I think all of the side content works together to get you to discover other side content. So mm -hmm. too does the combat system not only build off what was established with Remake, which looking back now, Remake is just completely primitive. And then we see Intermission evolve that a little bit further with the synergy skills between Sonon and Yuffie. And this takes that to another level entirely, taking everything that made Final Fantasy Final Fantasy in the PlayStation 1 era, you know, known for its CG graphics that you you would play the game to look at these visual spectacles. And now in the era of PS5, we kind of take it for granted. So I think what they do a good job of is taking those cinematic spectacles and adding them to combat, making them playable. You know, we always used to have the complaint, why can't my characters do all the cool stuff that they do in the cutscenes. Well, in, in Rebirth, you can. You know, uh, the I, I forget the name of the synergy skill, but seeing Barrett and Aerith team up and Aerith puts on Barrett's sunglasses. Sweet and sour yeah. salvo. <laughs> Dude, it's just, it's so cinematic, it's fun, and it's showing you not just cool stuff on screen, but it highlights and really makes each character feel like a character with their own distinct play style and personality. Like, it's kind of nuts how every single character in this game could kind of be the star in their own AAA action RPG, where it's <laughs> like, oh, do you want to play a brawler like Yakuza? Hey, you have Tifa. Do you want to play like a, a shooter that's like all about kind of laying back and, uh, you know, pelting enemies with gunfire and also healing allies? That's Barrett. Yuffie's like a, a quadruple A character in, of her, in her own mm -hmm. right. So it's just like nuts how all of these different characters work together to just make something feel so good and fun. Yeah. So yeah, you're, you're juggling, let's see, you're, you're juggling not just individual character levels, you're, you're figuring out like their, their, their weapon levels, your material levels, your party's entire level, what your what your party members think of you how happy they are with you <laughs> mm -hmm, you've got your mm -hmm. folios and then you've got like you've got you know in moment to moment you're you're building up atp to spend to build up synergy attacks like there's so many different like just so many different systems like it is it is so deep and again you're playing with you know you're playing with three characters at a time out of a you know in, increasingly growing roster of people to pull from and you obviously mm -hmm. want to you know, you want to hop around so everyone gets a chance to play. And it's, it's, it, it just feels it sizably, considerably more noticeable of a, of a experience in terms of like compared to the first one. Like it's just, yeah. there's, there's a lot more there to figure out, which is good because you've got, you know, if you're spending a hundred plus hours doing that keeps you from getting bored. Like that's, it's, it's huge. Yeah. And like having every character be so distinct in their play style uh, means like it, it like I love switching characters because like, oh, I can uh, do something completely different if I'm just controlling cloud the whole time. It's like, OK, I now I get into the flow of how it, how to play like a swordsman. But man, I love switching to Yuffie because there's she has so much flexibility and mobility. She's so fun. She's like, well, I, I love to integrate. But now that she's uh, like uh, like now with a, a full party controllable now you can like play off of her strengths as well with like her nin different ninjutsu and her doppelganger and she could really bring enemy stagger bars all the way up while you tee up like cloud and tifa for their big hitting uh attack so when you do stagger an enemy you can just lay it on them and on top of like the way 
um, pressure and stagger works in this game as well. Uh, that, of course, that's borrowed from remake as well. But like the the more the deeper you get in like boss fights and some of the like higher level enemies, the specific conditions in which you need to uh, engage with the combat system to inflict pressure and then get a stagger is really thoughtful. So mm-hmm. you're not just like mashing square or hoping to build ATB so you can get off like Comet or Fireaga or whatever hard hitting spell is like those things aren't really effective unless you use them at the right time and on the right enemies. So there's there's not only are you juggling so many different mechanics in a in a pretty uh, complex combat system, but now you have to think about how to engage specific enemies and what makes them tick. And some of them don't even have elemental weaknesses, too. It's yep. like if they use this attack, you have maybe a five second window to hit them to in, inflict pressure. And if you miss this, then you're kind of screwed. Uh, and there's there's so many variations of yep. that. So it is it's almost intimidating when I try to explain it to people or if I try to like really sit down and think about what this combat system is, is doing. So I can imagine someone looking at this and be like, yo, that's a lot. You're doing a lot. But trust me, what's it like? It, the way the game builds on it and doesn't like throw everything at you at once the way it like slowly builds you into understanding how these things work especially with a lot of the side content that is built to teach you the intricacies of the game mm-hmm. once it all starts to click there is just nothing like rebirth's combat system i played so many rpgs in my lifetime i love my, my turn-based games y'all should check out my persona 3 reload review on ign.com <laughs> as well probably one of my favorite game one of my favorite games of all time but the thing about Rebirth, I I have to say, is that there is just nothing like this combat system. It is <laughs> sometimes so frustrating with some way with the way some of the enemies are designed. But when it all clicks, oh my god, it is something special. I mean, some of the some of the summon fights, especially, like you have to be oh, very so careful fun. with some of those summon fights. Like there's one of them that you have to debuff. Like you have, I was like, I'm not using bringing deep. Uh, Deprotect or debrave or deshell like on a regular fight like it's just not useful and you get to this one fight and it's like oh you need to cast these to pressure them i'm like oh well i guess i need to go and equip those materials Mm -hmm. like hope i leveled them up Mm -hmm. (laughs) now it's like obviously the last big jrpg was well i mean no there was persona it's been a big year for jrpgs i Mm -hmm. there was persona 3 reload but i think the interesting one to compare this to is is infinite wealth with uh, like a dragon um, and it's we were talking about this before the show, but it's like very clear that like these these devs are kind of they're kind of copying each other's homework. But there's like obviously like it you know coming from a place of respect. Um, it's also extremely funny that like this is you know this is a, a, one of the most you know one of the most beloved turn based games ever, and they were like no, nah, it's a beat 'em up now. And then like you know Yakuza, they put out what nine games, and then they were like um, no, it's turn based now. <laughs> and both of these do an interesting thing where they they're they're not they're not so rigidly departing from like what they used like like in the same way that yakuza is like it's turn-based but there's a there's like a margin of real-time activity in the moment-to-moment like combat scenarios in this case you're still you know you're still swapping between characters and like basically stopping down and it's like it's not it's not turn-based but you go into that sort of bullet time like slow-mo to you know Mm -hmm. to assign party members to do stuff and it's that's sort of turn-based you know Mm -hmm. 
There's yeah. a there's a healthy equilibrium that's happening here with the the Like a Dragon franchise and uh, Final Fantasy as a whole, where Like a Dragon is an action RPG with a heavy emphasis on the RPG turn basedness of it, whereas the Final Fantasy VII Rebirth is the opposite, where it is an action RPG that puts a lot more emphasis on action. To go back to Michael's cues of you have to read your opponents, you have to see when they're about to anticipate attacks and mm-hmm. hit them in certain moments and things like that, and it's it's just wonderful. You know, I, I remember a decade ago where our people are like, turn-based RPGs are dead. They're, you know, they're they're not going to make any more of them. And now it's just it's wonderful to see the 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 genre thriving with two yeah. very different representations of kind of the same thing. And it's just like turn-based RPGs are not dead, nor are action RPGs. They're just different now. And they're I evolving. think that difference, sh- yeah, exactly. They're evolving, and I think that's just the sign that it is a healthy genre that is still, uh, you know, plenty plenty of room to grow into, which well, is it's also, it's like cool as hell to see, you know, these massive established franchises that are known for a specific type of, you know, gameplay, not be afraid to try something new and completely shake things up by like going a totally new direction. Like for, yeah, like final, I mean, Final Fantasy has been doing real-time combat for like a minute now, but it's mm-hmm. still like, it's still weird to kind of like, you know, reflect on that. It, you you know, why, you know, you don't need to reinvent the wheel. Like, but what if you did, you know, what if you made the wheel cooler? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So it, it it feels like all these games are still very much in tune with their identity, especially like when I think about Infinite Wealth, that um, it still has that over the top ridiculousness. And, you know, when you control Kiryu in that game, it's like, oh, he's still a brawler, too. If you use his limit break in that, it's like, hey, we haven't yeah. forgot that this is what Yakuza is about. Also, it can be multiple things. And I feel the same way about uh, seven remake and seven rebirth where uh you know you still have all the elements that you remember from those games it's just it's just in tune in a different way so the identity is never lost on you and uh, that, that's one thing that's that's one of the many things that stood out when i played remake and that's still true with rebirth um speaking of the comparisons between yakuza and final fantasy 7 i forgot how goofy seven is and it really leans mm-hmm. into that so you like you mentioned some of the partner attacks and some of them are just especially the one with uh tifa and red 13 i'm just like what are, what are we doing here where tifa like turns into a dog herself and they just uh, wail on <laughs> wail on your enemy i'm like yeah i'm on i'm on board with this because it's <laughs> it's so ridiculous and I, I love that these games don't take themselves so seriously um that you know seven was the original seven was still like a really dark game when i would like really reflect on the things that happened and how a lot of those moments were framed and i think seven rebirth takes a lot more of a lighter tone uh compared to the original um but again it's it doesn't feel like it's betraying the original identity of the game so um i just i I, I love that levity that it provides I think it still gets pretty dark during those yeah. big story beats. And then there's some added story beats and stuff that kind of fills in the gaps that you didn't really, that was like, that are bigger or, or more, um, there's more to them. They've added mm-hmm. more content to some of these story yeah. beats that do get to some decently dark places, kind of like the original. I think a lot of the levity comes from a lot of the side stuff, a lot of the in-between travel banter, travel dialogue travel cutscenes and stuff like that when you're just kind of um moving from location to location i think but yeah i 100 percent agree i love the levity i think the the word we've been throwing around um as we've talked like offline about this is it's very scooby-doo 
Like, this is the most <laughs> Scooby-Doo kind of Final Fantasy game, and in the best possible way. Um, mm-hmm. And yes, Red 13 is Scooby-Doo yep. um, himself. Like, <laughs> no, he... we, were, we were talking about this, like, the, the moment it hit me is there's a part where your party has to split up, and Barrett's like, I'm going to go downstairs with Red. Cloud, you hang out with Tifa <laughs> and Aerith, and I'm like... That's like a Freddie Jones move. Be like, all right, Shag, you and Scoob go explore the kitchen. I'm going to hang out with the babes. And it's just like, what are you doing? You're going to solve a mystery. I think like, you know, it's such a daunting task to adapt the original Final Fantasy VII to modern day because I think so much of the original game's identity is tied to the fact that it is, you know, launch software, you know, launch window software for the original PlayStation, Mm -hmm. right? Where, you know, the PlayStation was being fine-tuned to accommodate Final Fantasy VII and likewise. And so much of the restrictions on the original Final Fantasy VII, you know, the block cylindrical hands was by nature of they didn't know how to emote so they would just have over dramatic emotes in the original game like squatting to showcase some sort of excitement and emotion uh and i think that they've managed to take that original goofiness that ps1-ness of the Mm. original final fantasy 7 and preserve it right it is a snapshot of a game from the late 90s that was experimental it was weird and i think they managed to preserve it in amber in a way that feels jurassic park-esque where they're just kind of resurrecting it and bringing it into a modern context and with that new context you're able to see it and appreciate it in new and fun ways Mm -hmm. no i keep thinking about like obviously remakes are you know a divisive thing it's sort of like why not make something new i'm so glad that we're getting stuff like this and like re4 and hopefully you know, Snake Eater, because these are things that if if they weren't established, if they weren't like, if they if they didn't get weird 25 years ago, 20 years ago, they wouldn't be this weird now. Like no. they would not yeah. have the, like a new IP would, there's no way in a million years we would see a new IP that is this expensive, this polished, this ambitious, and this flat out stupid at times. Like <laughs> this is, I think the most expensive piece of media I've consumed that is also this ridiculous. Yeah, like and I, I, I think we're at like the period now that I think we're in the period of video games now that uh, film found itself in relatively like in the 80s and 90s where, you know, you have your your primitive, right? You have your uh, classical film, you have your revisionist and you have your parody. And I think right now video games find themselves in the revisionist <laughs> period where they're able to take the classics and kind of. Like, what if we what if we took a sidestep over here a little bit to show off mm-hmm. our heart? We learned a little bit more about the primitive. Like, we, we've evolved in, in, in developing these video games. And I think right now we are in this heyday of taking a look at what was before and allowing us to zig and zag in a lot more fun ways. And again, just another sign of a, a healthy, creative industry. It's... Yeah. It, it, it reminds me of another thing that happened in 1997 that involved dudes named Biggs and Wedge, uh, which was <laughs> the Star Wars Special Edition. And like that was, you know, mm-hmm. infamous, like George Lucas was like, this is my original vision. I wanted the singing man to dance more. I wanted more of a musical number here. It was going to be very exciting. Wampa was going to be scarier. This, do- this <laughs> I feel like, does what he was trying to do, but it, 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 it succeeds. Um, mm. this, this has a bunch of completely gaudy, over-the-top musical numbers, but they work. They make sense in the context of the game. You know, there's plenty of serious, dark, epic moments, but there's such like the the thing that I, I I cheered, I applauded when you got to the Hell House in remake. 
Like that was just <laughs> such a, like the, when they first announced this, they obviously, the, the reveal trailer for remake was like very brooding and serious and like, you know, it was badass. You know, it was Cloud with McMateria and the Buster Sword. You're like, holy, they're doing it, holy shit. And like, I'm like, okay, but here's a question. How are you gonna fight a house? Like, how are they gonna make a house fight work when you're also going for that serious tone? And they pulled that off. And in this case, it is, they are, they are continuing to get that weird. They're continuing to get that silly. Like there's so much stuff in here that's completely, utterly wackadoo and it pays off. Like it, they, they've earned it. And also like, I don't know, I was, I was texting a friend about this, but like, I feel like Remake in comparison, like Remake is, is, is great. Like it's, there's a lot there. It's very impressive. Um, you know, and obviously we finished that and we kind of, you know, there was, there was you kind of felt yourself like wanting more, like, and there was also, I know there was a concern that, you know, this would, the second, the second chunk of this would be another 30 hour experience. And they would just be kind of selling us a massive game piecemeal. Clearly not the case. Like this is a, this is a huge, you know, massive installment that they obviously, you know, they, I think they had to sell remake at full price to, you know, probably uh, recoup some losses and keep the, you know, keep the coffers line or whatever. Um, this, the, the, the first one reminded me of, Resident Evil 3 remake in that it was like very polished, very cool, very slick, but there was also a feeling of like, it was almost half-baked. Like it was sort of undercooked. Like, and there was a sort of sense of like, this is really cool. I, I want some, I want something more ambitious. And I remember playing, you know, RE3 remake and being like, I hope they, I hope four doesn't pull back. You know, I hope that four is, <laughs> is like, is as big of an experience as the original is. And that is exactly what this feels like um, in terms of sort of like rebirth, compared to remake feels like, you know, RE4 remake compared to three remake. Like it is any concerns I had about it, not, you know, not delivering completely unfounded. Like it's, it is a, it is a huge, huge experience and it doesn't, it doesn't sand off any of like the weird edges. Like it is, it is, again, it gets completely gaudy and ridiculous. And like, there's so much just, it, it allows itself to, it, it, it allows itself to get weird and experiment and try, try new things. And like, I don't know, it just, we don't get, we don't get things that are that, out there in the AAA space, I feel like. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I feel like a lot yeah. of a lot of companies they they feel they need to play it safe when it comes to you know releasing because it's six seven years worth of work. You know what I mean? Like, and this is their chance to make back what they've spent on it. So they've like we've got to do put our best foot forward. Um, we've got to go with what we know works. And I'm very happy that this goes just so many different places and does so many like it zigs where you expect it to zag into so many different crazy things. Not everything um, does land. Some of the mini games are a little um, they like they require a lot of work and they're not very fun. Um, <laughs> there's one called Gambits and Gears, um, which is later in the game. And I just really Ooh. did not like that one. Um, that was that the was gambit a, systems back the gambit <laughs> system yes but man oh what a what a way to use it um but yeah but everything else like it's so like it's just so well done the comedy the writing the the just everything i love this game I love one it. big addition that we should probably talk about is queen's blood which is yeah this is the this is the gwent this is the the in the in universe triad yeah yeah and it's like i i was surprised that they managed to like spotlight it so much like mm -hmm. it very you know it, it you know it, it's common that like something like this gets unveiled and it's sort of like it's a you know it's a sub story or a side quest um it doesn't usually wind up on the golden path you know like you don't usually if you're just like i'm not going to mess with this i'm just going to play the main game you know usually you don't encounter it again um very much not the case here there's like a completely like a very ridiculous like <laughs> main main storyline but i don't i don't want to spoil this but like it yeah you know 
we probably all would have finished the game or we probably would all have less time clocked um if <laughs> not for queen's gambit yeah. which is like a, it is it is very addictive um are any of you like trading card game people or like i, I don't is this i guess is like a deck builder type of thing yeah mm -hmm. oh yeah, yeah. Uh, like, like when it, when it comes to final fantasy card games i always get super into them so like mm -hmm. I mean, Triple Triad was like the first true attempt at a card game within a video game, uh, and it they they really struck gold with that, and it, that exists in Final Fantasy XIV. I have yep. thousands of hours of Final Fantasy XIV. <laughs> I've collected almost all the tri uh, Triple Triad cards that are in that one. Uh, I do not like Tetra Master from Final Fantasy Tetra Master is not fun. <laughs> yeah, but they I feel like they really they have something special here with Queen's Blood because it starts so off as something where you're just like doing territory control on a what is it? Uh, it's a five, five by three, three. grid. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you think it's just like, oh, territory control with different grids and a sequence and logic to it all with the different cards that you have. It evolves in such a way that uh, doesn't get overwhelming, but by the time you get to like the later Queen's Blood quests and some of the hard, harder opponents that you can find later in the game, you're doing some wild stuff that you did not realize were possible when you first started uh, playing Queen's Blood in it. And like the, the way it kind of teases you or like pushes you encourages you to engage with it because like, hey, we we put a lot of thought and care into making this card game, please play it and making that part of the main story in some way and you can skip it if you want if you really don't really want to engage mm -hmm. with card games you have a way out but if you just give it a chance i think you'll find something that is digestible that uh is good at teaching you the intricacies much like the combat system they're good at ramping you up and understanding how complex this game can be and it is a worthwhile time because there is an entire side quest chain and an entire side story tied to queen's blood as well and it is fascinating actually so not only are you playing a fun card game but you are actually engaging with uh something that is specifically built for this world um so yeah if you if it if it clicks with you in the in the early goings on like definitely stick with it seek out the opponents and see what has the the story has in store because it is uh oh like i said i lost a lot of hours to it i'm sure all y'all did too mm -hmm. it's like if tic-tac-toe is... was an rts yes <laughs> kind of yeah, yeah. It, it i think the thing that really hooked me because initially like michael said like you're kind of steamrolling it because like okay i get it i understand how this mm -hmm. game's work game works it's not too complex up front but then the second you actually push the side quest storyline forward enough to actually learn what's going on it was very evocative of a very recent triple a uh game that i won't name for the sake of oh, spoilers yeah. but there was something that happens i was like no way this is nuts <laughs> and, and to go back to michael's like how it teaches you about halfway not halfway through the game but like at, at the point that you get to the gold saucer in the game if you've been engaging with queen's blood you've probably been steamrolling it up to the point you get to in queen in a gold saucer but in the gold saucer the game th throws a little zag and actually i think costa del sol if i'm not mm -hmm. mistaken yep. where there's challenges where instead of playing a full-on game of queen's blood it puts a pre-configured board up of cards that are ready to go it just gives you like three or four cards and there is a correct order that you can play the cards in in order to achieve some sort of effect so effectively you're filling in the blanks and that does one of two things one you win so it makes you feel 
nice. And two, it teaches you a mechanic, whether it be depowering uh, enemies, uh, powering up your own enemies, or teaching you how the replacement card mechanics work. Mm -hmm. It all, again, builds together to just mm -hmm. do some wild stuff. And then by the end of it, by the end of the Queen's Blood side quest, you're just doing things that you never thought possible from the original like moments of the game. So it's just yeah. so smart and so elegant in its craftsmanship. Yeah. Again, like massively ambitious, huge anticipated remake of something that's very beloved. Uh, you don't want to change too much. People don't like it. And they just injected the totally brand new game in there. Like this could, this could be like a best-selling game on Steam by itself. And mm -hmm. it's just a part <laughs> yeah. of this game. It's kind of massive. Like I, I would... Yeah. I would love to play Queen's Blood against other people. Like I would love to have that as some type yeah. of multiplayer component. Like there'd be so much fun. There'd be so many hours <laughs> to, to dunk into that that mode. Physical cards, come on. Oh man, that would be crazy if we got physical yeah. cards. Yeah, the and they also have uh the the tail end, there's survival challenges where you have to play multiple rounds with your single deck. So you have to choose how many cards do I spend in this first round? Do I play all five cards mm. I drew? Or do I save two or three for the next one? Can I make do and win enough points with two cards versus five? And that teaches you to like, oh, I got to go build a deck to to spawn more cards, to destroy other cards, to power up. Like um, Nick was saying, like there's just so many things with it. I love it. Ah, now so that is that is one mini game that does does things really well. But there's again, there's they're not all <laughs> they're not all winners. Like there's definitely mm -hmm. some that are like mm -hmm. what? <laughs> I guess I'm curious. What were what were your least least favorites? Oh, it was definitely for me. It was gambits and gears. Like basically, you're controlling these little Wally looking robots to attack a giant flan, and it's all programmed by your gambits. But it's the the initial trials are pretty easy, but then the later ones they add like um, limitations. Like you can only have two of each color robot because you get a blue, a yellow, and a red. You can only have two of these. You only get two of these um at a time or two of these period for the whole fight so you have to like go through and restructure and it's very kind of i don't know automated like because i guess because it is so automated because of the gambit system it it wasn't as enjoyable for me um it's a little too nitty-gritty once you start yes. like reprogramming your little robots to have different attacks in different contexts like all right i just want to play the main game again mm -hmm. <laughs> i think the i think what i think the biggest thing was there just wasn't i didn't feel like there was enough options like you were so limited in what they gave you. Like I couldn't stack like just a bunch of fire um, on all my bots because they only give you one slot of fire uh, casting that you can put on one of your bots. So like if there was a way to buy upgrades and stuff like that, I think that could have helped me get more invested because I could have felt like I was making the robot my own instead of just, you know, digging my hand in the bag and like, oh, this is what is here. <laughs> This episode of Podcast Beyond is brought to you by NordVPN, a great way to protect yourself online while also improving your overall experience while enjoying cyberspace. Are you tired of streaming shows, movies, or sporting events being unavailable in your region due to draconian restrictions that are based on completely arbitrary geographical boundaries in physical meat space? Well, switch your virtual location to a place where that's no longer an issue. 
The same goes for shopping. You can get the best possible deal on subscriptions, flights, hotels, and other goods and services like that from websites that like to play favorites with certain territories and currencies. Meanwhile, encrypted traffic protects your data from hackers, viruses, malware, phishing sites, and other harmful hitchhikers of the information superhighway. Though really, it's more of an information autobahn because there is no speed limit with NordVPN. It is the fastest VPN in the world, so there won't be any buffering or lagging, and it'll stop your ISP from throttling your bandwidth. Isn't that nice? One NordVPN account can be used across six devices, which is great. My wife has been using our account to watch all sorts of awful British reality TV shows that aren't available here, like Argument Island or Half-Naked Idiots Fall in Love, and everyone's favorite, The Worst People Just Got Married, Let's Hear Them Talk About It. Shows that are so bad, they're blocked in our part of the world for our own good, but luckily, NordVPN allows her to trick the internet into thinking she's in the UK, so she and her awful friends can shriek and howl and cackle at the TV while I'm trying to relax. I've been using my VPN too. You know what I've been using it for? None of your business. Yep, that's right. And thanks to NordVPN, my data is safely encrypted, all bundled up in a weighted security blanket of incomprehensibly complex math problems, and nobody can tell what it's doing under there. Data, you do your thing. I'll leave you alone. One month of NordVPN coverage costs less than a cup of coffee. Coffee can't protect you from cyber criminals unless you throw it at them or pour it on their computers, and you'll probably get in trouble for doing that. So get NordVPN instead. To get the best possible discount off your NordVPN plan, go to nordvpn.com slash pobeyond. That link will also give you four extra months on the two-year plan. There's no risk with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. Again, that is nordvpn.com slash pobeyond. And now, back to the show. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it. Or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Martha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. That is like a very, like a very singular, granular nitpick. But I feel yeah. like that also kind of that kind of highlights the the flaws that this game has. Like there's there's so much here. There's like a bunch of little things that are annoying, and you almost you almost feel like a jerk for even complaining mm-hmm. about them. But there, <laughs> yeah. there there's enough of them that it's a, that it's noticeable. And like we're all kind of I feel like on the same page about this. Uh, like Michael, can you can you sort of <laughs> explain this? Yeah, I think when we we talked last week, and you described it as like death by a thousand cuts, and I think that's a good way of putting it because. When, when, like what I what I wrote in my review is that the there there are kind of a, a lot of these little annoying things, but you it's you almost question like they're not enough to really be a detriment to the experience. But then you start to question why they're even there to begin with. Like moving boxes it's very slowly to either like suck up Mako before you enter a door, uh, which you do so infrequently. That's like all right, I can forget about that. Or like moving a box to reveal a keypad code. I'm like, who writes their keypad code <laughs> on the wall? And all I have to do is move a box to see it. Like this, why is this? You could have bypassed this entire thing. And 
boy there's one of the later chapters where you like they've shown this in the state of play like where you control kate sith and you have to like throw boxes there's you go on an elevator and you have to throw boxes at other boxes and you i could just completely ignore it altogether and not worry about it if you do it well enough you got like special items whatever But I was looking at it, I'm like, why did was I asked to do this to begin with? And there's like a lot of little things like that. And they're they're um, like they're like micro games, you know, they're yeah. not mini games. They have like a gamey mentality, but they're like non-puzzles almost. They're just a thing yeah. you they're, do. They're too long to be con- in uh too long to be convenient though, unlike like a warrior micro game. Like yeah. one thing that <laughs> yeah. stood out to me about your review, Michael, is that that really personified a lot of really my only issues with rebirth is a lot of the mini games feel like the equivalent of doing a climbing section in the open world where it's yeah. just like it's not it's not bad like it's not like a bad dis- like it, it it's fundamentally not a thing that's not bad <laughs> but it is a thing mm-hmm. that is enough of an inconvenience where you're just like uh, in a game where so much of it feels good, these moments really stand out because they don't it's <laughs> yeah. the, because it's they bring the, the momentum the to a breath crawl. of the wild mm-hmm. like it's yeah. yeah it's one of those things where like this this meeting could have been an email. This this cutscene <laughs> should be skippable. They're all the of climbing yellow, a yellow pathway on rocks. Yeah. A, a lot of the mini games. They, yeah. Same, yeah. same thing. Same picture. You're, and you're like this. It's just it's it's a again it's a nitpick, but there's enough of them that it kind of stacks, mm-hmm. and to the point where you're just like, you know, maybe maybe this wouldn't be an 80 hour game if some some of the parts just hard to hard to <laughs> yeah, f off. You know, like it's reel just, it reel it back just a little bit. Yeah, you know? yeah. Because uh, like a lot of the stuff in the gold saucers, like the, not I don't I don't love all of it. I think like the the Star Fox style shooters, kind of whatever. The mm-hmm. the punch out of mini game is like actually not great because it's impossible. Yeah. It's almost impossible to read uh, the enemies. And you're supposed to react. I to have a tip. That. I have a tip for everybody who's playing that one and trying to do the harder challenges. You can pause in the middle of their animations. So I literally, <laughs> as they're as you see them starting to wind up, you just hit the pause button and you can see which arm they're doing and you just learn yeah. the kind of positions or whatnot from that. And that's then, yeah, I blew tips. through everybody pretty quick because uh, that's how basically. Yeah, basically, because that's how you get uh, when you finish one of those. It's uh, one of the best uh, accessory rewards in Final Fantasy. So you'll yeah. want to push through yeah. those. Yeah. So like, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff. And like the piano mini game, I think, is actually it's not a great rhythm game, but I'm, I'm glad that it exists. Mm-hmm. And in the same way, like Nick, you mentioned the like the traversal stuff, like climbing and stuff. I I appreciate what it adds to it, but there's a certain level of refinement that those things needed for them to feel like they belong in the game. So, I mean, I think climbing we've, we've done uncharted climbing for years and years and years. Mm -hmm. So uh, the fact that this game has it is not a bad idea because it, it feeds into the sense of scale you get when you're traversing these environments. Like, wow, Mm -hmm. the Junon cliffs are huge and it takes time to get up to a certain vantage point that you want to get to. And I like that it makes you work for that. But man, you got to make that a little bit smoother. Uh, I mean, the the thing that kind of confused me is at one point you get a grappling hook and it's just like, oh, but this is only usable in very specific locations. Like I can't use it to Mm -hmm. just pull myself to the top of this very short clip. It is still the equivalent of slowly rock climbing up. Like that is like a one to one feeling of I can only do this here and I have to use this to get way. It, it's <laughs> I, a little faster than rock climbing, I guess, but but still. I can't help but wonder like it, it, if, how many of those things are like hiding load times. 
like because they kind of have the same feeling as like squeezing through cracks like it's the same level of tedium as that and it's just like a little Mm. you're like this is not a good grappling hook this is not you know and it's like i don't know if you can't do can't do something well don't do it you know like Mm. you you could just run down there are significantly less crevice crawling moments in this Mm -hmm. game compared to remake but maybe they are just in the form of yellow uh, rock climbing pathways i could see it with like certain moments there's a couple moments where you climb up to the top of something and then like a cutscene triggers or you walk a few steps and then it triggers a big thing i was positive though positive that the opening chapter one this is chapter one so no it's i think this is fair because everybody's played the demo Mm -hmm. Uh, when you are cloud and you have to turn the valve uh, as sephiroth is going i was like why is this the slowest valve turn and like (laughs) part of me is thinking it was like oh i know why this is slowly turning because significant story content is happening on the other side of this but no it's just a slow it's just a slow turn <laughs> that's I almost, it's another thing that was kind of insignificant that i forgot but now that you brought it back up i'm like yes i remember how cloud you're buff you're strong you're a soldier come on you could you can turn this valve faster man it's, the, it's um, just that rested weird it's just that uh you know it's just been hasn't moved in ages yeah <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I mean, uh, there's, yeah, like nitpicks, uh, that, that kind of add up to really, um, I mean, you remember the, the, the like the, 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 those nitpicks throughout the, throughout mm-hmm. the game, but in its biggest moments, it, it's, it almost feels insignificant when you, yeah. like, once you finish this game, once you see what this game is trying to say, how it says it. Um, I have a couple of my own qualms with um, with how the main story kind of plays out, but I think by and large that this is it's a it's a powerful story, it's an ambitious story. So um, all these little things that it kind of uh, might not get right, boy, does this game like really nail it when it comes to its most important and its biggest moments. So, mm-hmm. um, and especially yeah. as someone who's loved Final Fantasy VII since I was a child, man, like. Uh, it's uh, it's almost ridiculous to see that this is what Final Fantasy VII has become. Uh, so as much as there is valve turning and and crevice crawling and uh, and Let throwing boxes like, at other boxes, I want to clarify here. Like these are again, these are stupid nitpicks. If anything, I think they're they're Minor. interesting. Like they're they're they give the game character for all the, the tedium <laughs> that goes with them. Mm-hmm. Like it's just yeah. sort of funny to be like, why was that a thing? Like why was that yeah. there? Overall, this game is phenomenal. This game is really, really yes. stunning. And it had like, it had like expectations are sky high. Like people really, really like, they can't screw this up, you know, and they didn't like it just to, you know, to be perfectly clear. It's, it is a, you know, stunning achievement. Like also like this is, is this, I'm trying to tell if this is like the best looking game I've played. Oh yeah. 1000%. Especially when you get to those CGI cutscenes. Oh. The CGI oh, cutscenes. Yeah. The way they just... blend with like the with the real time rendering also is kind of like oh it's it is almost it's wild. going back to the original PlayStation right the mm-hmm. cutscenes combined into gameplay it's a seamless transition it's so good yeah yeah <laughs> just fantastic I mean I think people go what about you know what about like the Last of Us Part Two or PS Five version and it's like in in terms of a game that is this scale that looks this good I don't think I've encountered anything like that like it's yeah. really it's really yeah. stunning. Yeah, I, I mentioned in my review that uh, sometimes, you know, when you're when you're traversing the open world, and you're trying to take care of these tasks, the tasks themselves are, you know, pretty fun or like not like there's you know, things you want to knock out and it's satisfying. But part of that reward of the exploration is to see the views mm-hmm. like this is a 
beautiful world. It's also a world ravaged by uh, environmental destruction. Um, and that is one of the core themes is like climate change and environmental preservation. And you get so much of that story told to you by just looking out to the horizon. When I scale a cliff and I'm jumping on jump pads and flying into the sky, I can see this entire this region in its entirety. And there's so much storytelling in just how this world is built. And it almost reminds me of Xenoblade Chronicles 3, where uh, I will go to an objective, clear it, and then I'll look off to the side of the cliff and see this huge, beautiful world that is actually there for me to explore. Um, and sometimes I, it's, you know, there's so many photo mode-esque moments uh, in this mm -hmm. game. And the fact that it's it's this in this high fidelity, you know, Xenoblade Chronicles obviously is on a switch. So the, the way in which they're able to wield the switch's limitations to have a world of that scale, but then having seven rebirth do it in Unreal Engine five with this level of fidelity is so stunning. And like, you know, when when you first time you step out to the grasslands and the camera pans and Aerith is like, wow, this world is so beautiful. You get that moment multiple times as the player, because with each region, there is just so, it feels like there's something new that you are discovering. Even some a barren wasteland like Corel, uh, when you make it to the top of Mount Corel, there's still something awe-inspiring about seeing how this entire world of Final Fantasy VII has been rebuilt mm -hmm. uh, visually, and just it elicits a lot of emotions that are that are tough to explain. Um, it does but, a wonderful job yeah. of of nailing magical realism, and it's something that I love about this is it it the amount of detail that it has in something completely mundane something totally ordinary like you'll meet npcs who just look like regular ass people like they're just normal people yep. in this universe <laughs> yeah. and you know there's there's like a guy who has like a regular camera he's just wearing a shirt you can get a <laughs> j crew like it's complete it's this level of like <laughs> yeah. the fact that there are these mundane elements in this completely fantastical world is that's what's so i think that's what's specifically so special about about ff7 like and obviously other final fantasies kind of dabble in this but there's something here that really is just such a it's such a blend of everything you know like it's got it's got like some it's got some diesel punk it's got some cyberpunk it's got some you know classical western fantasy it's got you know a, a heavy slathering of just anime sensibilities all over it mm -hmm. and then it's got like they did they they eat their vegetables you know like i always kind of i always get mm -hmm. critical of stuff where you know they want to design the swords they want to design the spaceships they want to design the guns they want to make the cool futuristic stuff they want to make the stylistic stuff but you know, there's, there's none, there's that same level of attention isn't paid to like the little details, the mundane stuff, you know, like nobody wants to render a manila envelope or whatever. But in this game, it's the same level of care is taken across the board on no matter, you know, no matter how like, you know, mundane or granular a, a, an element is, it's given the same attention and same level mm -hmm. of detail as something is like, you know, a giant basilisk or whatever. Mm hmm. Yeah, that's uh, yeah. it's part, definitely part of what makes uh, exploring this world worth it is uh, seeing all those small details and they def they definitely add up to say a lot about the world. It it is it captures the magic of like as a kid playing through the PS1 version of the game and you're in the world map walking around. There's just a lot of flat polygons that kind of stick out at funny angles and it is the approximation of sand the approximation of grasslands approximation of you know rocky area and in this game you get to see the fully fleshed out environment that you imagined was there as a kid mm -hmm. it, it, it is it is like evoking that that magical feeling of showing you what you remember it looking like as a kid yep. even though it didn't look like that at all yeah. no i have that same feeling so many times going it's like oh this is that moment i like this is how i envisioned it like 100 percent nick like that is 
this game, yeah, it, it literally goes places. It does everything. I, I, I think it does everything I, I've, I was hoping for that I was going to get out of this game. Like the combat mm-hmm. is just so fluid. It's, it's just um, rewarding. The gameplay, the the materia systems, the RPG mechanics with the folio slash sphere grid system that we're calling it, um, just everything. <laughs> like yeah. you know, like they've paid so much attention to every single like area, and even things that like I didn't necessarily enjoy. Enjoy. There's still so much detail and design and attention put into those um, those moments that it's just it's it's crazy. Um, and like I, I am, I applaud the devs at Square for being able to do that with this game of, on its scale, um, mm. because it's just, it's just overwhelmingly how good it is for me. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I want to, you know, have valid criticisms, but like, there's also so much to celebrate here. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's, it is again, it's kind of just flabbergasting that they managed to to recreate, like, to to realize that that idealized version of what we're nostalgic for. Like, this is not, you know, this is not just a remake of a game that exists. It is a realization of a thing that's only ever existed in people's heads. Like, yeah, to, yeah, breathe so much life into something that previously was like, you know, you can you can make most of the original game out of paper craft. You know, like, it's, <laughs> it's, it, it's not, it doesn't have that many polygons. Like, I would love to see, like, a, a breakdown of, you know, like, how many polygons are in, like, one of one one of cloud's eyelashes or whatever compared to the original game like there's just so much there's so much life here and these characters are brought to life so well uh it's and it's just again you know there's a there's a fondness for them like it's about these it's about these people it's about these characters and their lives and there's it it's it's that i mean it's the thing that i loved about about 15 a whole lot was where it's like you're you're on a road trip with your pals you know and it Mm -hmm. absolutely nails that yeah Who is everyone's favorite character? Nick? I'm a basic boy. I'm Cloud all the way. What? (laughs) Cloud and Sid. Cloud and Sid. Okay. I'm very sad he didn't talk about any of the GDT. (laughs) The goddamn T. I don't know if I'm allowed to cuss in this. (laughs) He didn't didn't say goddamn T once in this game. I'm so sad. (laughs) He also doesn't smoke a cigarette anymore. Um, Yeah, I noticed that. Smoking's bad. Give the man a cigarette. <laughs> <laughs> you, you can't smoke cigarettes anymore. In uh, video games. It's just part of his personality. <laughs> but no, Sid is Sid is Sid is great in this one too. Of course, that happens later on in the game. But uh, for me, uh, I think especially with Rebirth, I think Barrett is by and far my favorite character. Uh, mm-hmm. I, Max, you haven't. Uh, you're on on the cusp of uh, what's essentially like his chapter. And you know his backstory if you've played the original game, but the way that it's been realized in this in this game, and it goes into the things you were saying, Max, about like, in my head, this is how I imagined it to be. And then now it's my imagination made reality in this the form of Rebirth. So seeing like his story has so much more emotional weight to it because of the performances and because of the the visuals. And the, the cinematography and a lot of these cutscenes too, especially in his section, are very powerful. Um, mm. And I just love his presence throughout the game and how his, in small ways, his relationship with the rest of the party kind of evolves to where he's kind of a hard ass and he 
he just he's there to like do one thing and it's destroy Shinra. But then along the way, you see him kind of have a fondness for everybody else, even someone as, as annoying as Yuffie. Uh, you, you, you kind of see uh, things change there. But um, aside from Barrett, I do like Yuffie a lot, especially with how she controls in combat. I think mm-hmm. she ox- occupies like the same brain space as like a Kirby or a Rowlet to me, where she's just like this <laughs> like happy go lucky, adorable person who's just mm-hmm. all about one thing. And she's annoying at times, but it's just like, ah, that, that's that's my home girl. And like when you control her in combat, I'm like, okay, I you need to be switching between all the party members to really get the most out of this combat system. But if I just control her alone, I'm doing already doing a lot. So I really love what she adds to the rest of this game. She's yeah. kind of like an in-universe weeaboo. Like there's this. Oh there's, yeah. There's kind of oh, like yeah. um, very ganky energy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Kind of kind of reminds me of like um, of like Ed and Cowboy Bebop, where mm-hmm. you've got this. This is you know this is this anime person basically who's just like completely mm-hmm. goofy and off the wall and like and everyone else is just like what's wrong with you? Why are you like this? And it <laughs> I don't know. It does it. This game does such a good job of like. In addition to, you know, capturing the things that we idealized, also taking the completely like goofy elements, not just not just like, uh, you know, subject matter, but like the the mannerisms of like a, a PS1 era polygon waving its arms around like just this, you know, blocky gesticulation. It does such a good job of doing that with really, really high resolution performance capture. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Jada, who was your, um, your favorite? Who were your pals? So I used to be a big Tifa stan. I was all about Tifa all day, every day. But between uh, Intergrade and Rebirth, Yuffie has become my favorite. Like, I just love everything about her, including how she controls in combat. But like, just her whole like character, her story, everything that's like that she's about. She's I mean, she's she's out for materia. That's it. I mean, that's really she's just <laughs> along for the ride to get as much materia as she can. And I, I respect that. She knows what she wants. She's upfront about it to everybody. Um, you know, she can help turn the tides in this big old battle. Sure. But she just really wants some some pricey materia. Um, and then a surprise one that snuck up on me that just was I did not care for care about in the the original back on the PS1, but Kate Sith. Oh, oh man. I love his character. Just like his accent. Like it's just, they did such a good <laughs> job with just his delivery and all his lines. I really hope like that the, the actor for uh, who's gets nominated for performance on him because it is just so good. Every line is just over the top and cheesy, corny one liners. It's just, it's so great. I love Kate Sith in this game. Oh. Um, and I really hope like uh, other people enjoy him as much as I did because yeah. I just I, I love him so much net more now. Oh my god, Kate Sith is Kate Sith is the definition of whimsical. Like <laughs> yes, like the Scottish accent is like really it's it really adds like this 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 whimsy to the character too. But I just think Kate Sith is so adorable, like the mannerisms uh, along with the voice acting, and she's a little baby. She's a little baby tiger. I love cats so much, and Kate Sith is just a precious little little cat. Even though you kind of realize what the what the truth is behind Kate Sith, is still, oh, he's still cute. Very fun in combat too. Yes. Yep. You ever want yep. to roll dice? Rolling them dice. Uh, I love I love a good gambling class in an RPG. I can't mm-hmm. wait. I haven't even gotten there yet. Okay. Um, you'll see. <laughs> I, I love I love Cloud. I love Cloud because he's like. <sighs> You know, there's the there's the nonverbal protagonist or the silent protagonist. Like Cloud, I feel like has that on a personality level. And like obviously, you know, he's this like ex-soldier with like PTSD or whatever. But there's so many moments where 
his entire demeanor reminds me of like one specific scene from the fifth element where like Ruby Rod, like Chris Tucker comes in and he's like this flamboyant, he's all over the top and he's like playing the loud music and he's like, and then he interviews like Bruce Willis and he like throws the mic in his face and there's this like, just like deafening silence and crickets. And I feel like that's Cloud's entire, like his entire relationship with everybody is just like, what are we doing? What do you mean I have to get, what do you mean I have to put on a bathing suit? What are we, what, what? We're gonna, we gotta go over here? Oh. <laughs> you know, and, just, and everyone else is like, they got their own thing going on and, you know, and it's endearing, like it totally, it, it works and it like, it makes sense in the context of the story. Um, but it's also, it's just, I don't know, it's just hilarious. Like it's a very, it's, it's, there's so many moments where he's just like, like he's, you can just, you can, you don't see him rolling his eyes, but you can hear it, you know, like it's just this, you know, I, I don't know. It, I, I like it. I, I also think it's like the first time in a game where a character that's that is why I like Cloud as well, because he is very nonverbal. But both he and Sephiroth, this is the first game I've ever really noticed a lot of subtlety in the kind of facial animation with both of these mm -hmm. characters who don't really talk a lot. And I feel like both Cloud and Sephiroth say a lot with their body language and their kind of uh, micro expressions yeah, that they, they give about. And uh, hats mm -hmm. off to the developers. Say it to me, for Sephiroth for kind of animating the just the, the the small the smallness of different things that they do with their eyebrows their cheeks and just it really sells one how cloud could have looked up to sephiroth and also just how sephiroth became this war hero uh this kind of mm -hmm. like reluctant war hero and i, I think that's super duper smart yeah. yeah one thing i'll say about that too is uh that it the the story never really spells out what Cloud is experiencing. Um, and of course, yeah. that's on purpose because uh, like Cloud's head is clouded. <laughs> uh, and you kind of don't fully understand what's going on with him. But it, when he has these headaches, when he has these flashbacks, when you know that he's something's off, especially as the game goes on, you kind of there, there's there's so much said in how how present he's not with everyone else. And when everyone else is asking, Hey, you good, man. He's like, hey, yeah, I'll, I'll be all right. And it's like, no, you're not. <laughs> you haven't been <laughs> since chapter one, bro. But I can see uh, the, the things adding up uh, in his mannerisms. Uh, it's, um, I don't know if it's like super intentional, but that is definitely something that came across. And in the original cloud talked a lot more. Mm -hmm. And of course, you know, you can't communicate everything in the low poly uh, aesthetic that the ps1 yeah. version had of course um but they've made up for it in other ways to where he doesn't have to say everything uh outright but now mm -hmm. you can just see how it's worn on his face and his body language and uh how that takes a toll on everybody else so um it's definitely a definitely a game that uh has a lot of subtleties that speak volumes yeah uh speaking of characters did you guys see the red 13 kind of swap kind of happen oh yeah Dude, it was. I had to like double take with it. It's yeah. so, it's mm -hmm. it's such a smart choice for that character that I was like, you need to relax I didn't on that. What was happening, but yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We'll take it easy. Take, yeah, take I'm not gonna talk more about it, but yeah, Red Thirteen has a big story moment, and uh, yeah, it it endeared him to me a little bit more than I had in the oh, past. I'm, I'm, also, st I'm still fifty fifty on it, but I respect it. I respect it. Yeah. He's also very strong in combat. Like, he's oh my so, god, like, so much spread? better in combat now. Like, oh, that oh, vengeance, yeah, yeah gauge yeah. is so good. Yeah, Red is a he's. 
I mean, he showed up pretty late in the in the in remake, right? Like he was. Yeah, tail end. He's a yeah, as a guest character. Yeah, like yeah. I feel like I was. I didn't really get a chance to get to know him, but this time around, it's like it's it's kind of like all right, where were we? Let's pick up where we left off, and I don't know. It's there's there's only so much humanity you can breathe into a talking dog, but they they do a good job. You know, it it works. Ooh, I'm into wow. it. Yeah. Oh, I'm excited for the rest uh, for you, Max, because man, it's mm-hmm. uh they 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 do some really something really special with that character that um you just couldn't do in the PS1 version of course yeah. uh so uh that is another that is another uh example just like Red 13's whole arc is just another example in which this whole remake trilogy is uh like building upon the the, the strong foundation that was already there in the original and um it kind of, and still keeping the core ethos of what those games were about what those characters were about um so yeah it's it's really beautiful to see yeah. Um, Jada, did we get any did we get any listener questions? Ooh, uh I don't want to put you on blast s- here if you didn't. I pro- probably did, but give me a second because I am on a different setup than I All normally good. am right now. Um I want to go back to talking about the piano minigame. Um Okay. Yeah. <laughs> this is a weird thing to call the out. Hardest minigame. It's the hardest I, like, minigame. I, in the I got to that and I was like <laughs> I was like dying laughing because like the first thing it did, of course, was just like button mash and just you know, Cloud sits down like <laughs> and like Wow, you did all that? And it was like, no, that's not a good, not good music. I was I was impressed that like it reminds me of the like the last of us guitar, where it's like mm-hmm. you, yeah. you guys spent way too much time making a musical instrument in a video game. Uh, okay you know why not like it's there if you want to like people are totally going to do like insane you know they're going to play the they're going to play like covers on there they're going to be like oh you know it's esposito or whatever like on piano they already have i saw uh my heart will go on cover just yesterday with people playing the demo (laughs) yeah i saw that like the guy who runs like the piano club just looks like joe biden with joe biden yeah (laughs) like what just what a strange what a strange character to put in there i don't yeah i don't know it's yeah it's it's pretty wild like i'm i'm i will say like out of all the genres of video games that i am like actually good at rhythm games are probably the i'm best at um and even then though the way you have to use the twin sticks to 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 get the the keys right and even it'll tell you you're you're on time and you're great but when you actually hear it play out like this sounds like a 10 year old child at piano (laughs) taking piano lessons right now and everyone's just like yo that was amazing uh it's it's very funny it's it's ridiculous and uh it's nothing more insulting than hearing the metronome yeah (laughs) yeah you get like a 20 hit combo and then it takes the metronome out as soon as you mess it up it's like hey you need that back you need to get back on beat it's it's a really goofy thing, but I'm glad that it exists in this game. Yeah, this, I mean, try, trying to sort of even quantify the the sum of this game's parts, like it's, there's so, there's just, there's more stuff in here than there is. Like there's, it's just, it's overflowing. Like there's such a, mm-hmm. there's so many little, little details and little elements. And of course we're like, the minecart pushing was tedious. I didn't want to do that. The noise it makes when you upgrade folios bothered me, but it's like, there's, then there's these incredible like character moments and like, you know, big sprawling vistas and like a you know a really good a really good piano like it's just there's a lot to <laughs> a lot to unpack here speaking um, of music one thing we didn't really get to touch on but i just would be remiss to not mention once mm. i at the end of remake and uh intermission i was like dude they used up all the music how are they gonna make new tracks for uh rebirth right masashi masashi Haomuzu goes so hard in this game just hearing all the tracks that we didn't get to in the original two uh in the in the remake and intermission but also 
um, kind of uh, rearrangements of uh, all the songs that we've heard previously. Yeah. And it's just like, oh, no. How Moose has still got it, baby. Yeah, and he goes hard. Yeah, one one thing I I I I have a section about music in every single review that I've ever written, uh, and Rebirth included because uh, going out like Persona Three obviously does music very differently when it's where it's like distinct mm-hmm. songs that you would listen to on like a, an album like that someone puts out, and that way that's woven into the game is really strong and really powerful, whereas. I'm not so taken. A, I'm not so taken by sweeping orchestras, but with Rebirth, the way they use leitmotifs and the melodies in so many clever ways, where they can e- either like weave it into an existing song, blend the two together, where you have the Shinra the Shinra theme with the the traditional battle theme blending together as you're going through this dungeon sequence that tells you like, oh, Shinra's on my tail, and I know it that things are dangerous out here because I know that through the music um, and the way they can change character themes, melodies, but switch the pitch up a little bit to be unsettling yeah. to tell you like, I think something is about to go down with Tifa. I think something bad is about to happen with, with Barrett because I can hear their theme, but something is off about it. And it is, it, it's, it's some next level stuff in terms of mm-hmm. how, not just the music itself. These are songs that we remember, but how it's wielded is it's that is some amazing stuff. Gold Saucer theme and Cosmo Canyon. I like sat on my couch and like cried for 10 minutes straight because <laughs> these are songs I listened to when I was seven years old. I remember what it was like to be seven years old playing this game. And I was just waiting to hear Cosmo Canyon. And when it when it hit, it was it was more beautiful than I could have ever expected. Um, it did not disappoint. Yeah. <laughs> just. Oh. Yeah, it's I had like the biggest just stuff. the biggest grin on my face when I got to Gold Saucer and that music mm-hmm. started playing like it's such a <gasps> it's such a <laughs> such a bop. I love it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Jay, did you get anything over there? I am attempting to get logged in. If not, we can. No worries. Uh, I can we, grab we had some, for we next had some week. technical stuff going on this last week. Um, Michael, was there anything we wanted to talk about you didn't get a chance to touch on? Um, I mean, I think the it, it's it's hard to talk about story stuff because you want to dance around it, right? You want to mm-hmm. preserve that, and there's a way to talk about it with preserving the the magic and just the actual story beats of it. Um, I will say that it does take a while to get into focus because as, as much as I was enjoying like the first two regions and a lot of the mini games, a lot of the diversions and the character building that comes along with it at a certain point, uh, especially when you hit Costa del Sol, I uh, was kind of like, what, what, what are we doing again? Like what's, uh, what's driving yeah. us? I know we're chasing Sephiroth and I know we're trying to get one up on Shinra. Uh, and there's bits and pieces of that uh, throughout the thing. But at, at the same time, I'm like, okay, like I remember in the original, since these sections weren't as drawn out in the original, the main story was just on, like it was just, it was right there. I didn't have to wait long to unravel that stuff in the original game. So mm-hmm. um, I don't know if I'd call it necessarily a pacing issue, but it's just, it's just how this game is built. So I think that it, you would need to give it time. And, and if, you, if you're playing this, if you played seven, you're going to see this game all the way through, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that the meat of the main story starts to kick in at the, like, around where you're at now, Max. So um, yeah. after that, then you start seeing the ball rolling. And that's when it kind of really comes into focus uh, with what this game is trying to say. And um, mm-hmm. I think it's, this is what the game is always about, you know, saving the planet, you know, of mm-hmm. many other things too with, you know, stopping Sephiroth. That was always the main goal since, since like day one. And Shinra has always been this 
ever-present evil uh, there. But I think the way it frames environmental present, uh, preservation is is very powerful in, in, in many moments. And it kind of reminds you that I, I'm, I'm, I'm glad it does that because that mean, that tells me that they haven't forgotten what this game was really about. Um, so things like that. And also the Turks. I got to mention the Turks, y'all. Like, yeah. <laughs> come on. They're the... Like having this sub-villain group that mm-hmm. is just perpetually showing up that they're... I mean, they're not... It's hard to call them villains because they're so damn cool. Of course, they're like your opposition, but at the same time, whenever I see Rude show up, Elena, oh my god, Elena has taken my heart. What did you have? You did you did you catch a look at her her gun and not what her gun looks like? It looks like like a Call of Duty weapon. It's like this like like pink bejeweled with charms and stuff hanging off of it, and like she's like part of this elite military group for Shinra, and she's got this like pink bedazzled gun and i ah, love it there's love so Alina. there's so many so good much. goofs uh, goofs and gags with the turks throughout the throughout the uh-huh. throughout the story that kind of gives them a little bit more a little bit more character but when you at you when you fight them there's 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 like this level of mutual respect between you and the turks that mm-hmm. i just love seeing and you got a little bit of, of that when you see uh rude and reno in remake um but the the way they continue to perpetually just be there uh, is still something. It, it's one of the things I always looked I looked forward to as I was playing the game. Like, oh, when are like the Turks are like back? a sexier Team Rocket kind of. Sure, yeah, that's yeah. okay. Yeah, much more buttoned up, much more capable. With all yeah. due respect like, to Jesse and James, like, there's you know. <laughs> oh, they're great. <laughs> um, one thing I do want to talk about is uh, Chadley. Let's talk yes, about Chadley. Yes. Chadley and Mai, the new the new. Uh, the newcomer to the kind of digital interface for training your uh, the training um, simulator and stuff like that. Was it like that's all back. assessment interface or something? Yes, I believe so. Yeah, I think I believe that is what her, my stands for. Um, but yeah, I you know Chadley was. I felt like in the first one, Chadley was like kind of a distraction. It's like, oh, this is how I get my summons. Okay, whatever. Um, and the, he's still very much that's still very much the case for here. But I feel like they gave him so much more character and so much more to do around him. Um, and they built him so much into the side activities that it really got a chance to let Chadley shine. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it's just a great um, a great way to, of building upon the foundation they put in Remake. Um, and some of those later challenges get really tough. Oh, yeah. um, like you just have to kind of build full sets of materia around specific um, challenges, especially when you get to like the 10 battle ones towards the end of the game. Like they're ridiculous. They're really, they're really fun though. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They, oh, they are. Yeah. So really, much fun. Really fun. We checked in, we checked in like last week and I was like, I want to take when I say I was like I want to take Chadley on a date to the gold dumpster. Like I just I hate Chadley. And you were, you're, all, you're all like, oh, he's he's he, he's great. He's and the thing you, you you called out was like he keeps showing up in increasingly ridiculous places. Mm-hmm. And like mm-hmm. right after we got off that call, I played a little bit more, and I was like, okay, fine, that's really funny. That's like a really good goof for him. Just like and it's just I know exactly I what know. you're talking mm-hmm. about. What is that? I'm trying to think what that reminds me of. That's like there's like a bit in some game or some show where like somebody's just. How did you get here? Where did you come from? Don't worry about <laughs> it. I'm here. <laughs> yeah, matters. Chadley definitely grew on me because I was like, all right. He calls me every time I pull up on a life spring. Every time I discover something where I was like, hey, Cloud, uh, I see that you discovered new intel. Should come back and check out this new material I got for you. I'm like, all right, relax, man. I know, I know what I'm doing. 
then as the game goes on where you're just like hey yo it's chadley's here this is like it's, it's the he reminds complete... me of the merchant mm-hmm. in re4 that's what yes. it is. there he is yep 100 <laughs> percent um and my is like basically a pokedex is basically like you'll go up to you have these like special fiends that you'll hunt throughout the game and my will give you just like this is the whole background on these ones. These ones weren't able to, to didn't find a mating partner, so they've changed their color. This is a perfect chance for us to examine these uh, new species. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like, it's just great. She does that for like all the, the big, those uh, odd fights, which are cool. Nice. Well, we are, oh. we are about at time here. Do I have one more thing? Oh yeah, just real quick, sorry. Okay. Uh, going to, just to, kind of circle back to the story stuff again no no spoilers uh, at, at all mm-hmm. I'm, I'm super sensitive to that stuff but you know uh, to kind of tack on and 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 uh, piggyback from michael's uh, idea that like the original final fantasy 7 is 100 percent about you know climate change and preserving the planet that we are inheriting right from the people who came before us and whatnot so i recently read through the uh oral history of final fantasy 7 by matt leone and incredible read highly recommend checking it out but in it the author has uh some pretty intimate conversations with the developers of the original final fantasy 7 and kind of building off michael's uh you know idea that Final Fantasy VII at its core is a game about climate change and preserving our planet. I think additionally, one thing I learned about was that series creator Hironobu Sakaguchi used the original Final Fantasy VII's big pivotal moment at, you know, near the end of uh, disc one to process his own mother's death. So I kind of wonder, you know, where Rebirth ends up leaving off, what that all means in the grand scheme of things. Like looking back if at Remake, if you want to interpret Remake as having multiple meanings, which I personally do, taking that information and kind of applying that same lens and filter to the Rebirth subtitle, I wonder what it all means. I don't have an answer, but just it's something that I know I'm going to be thinking about for the foreseeable future future especially on subsequent playthroughs but i kind of just want to pose that question to the room and again you don't need to have an answer right now but what does the rebirth subtitle mean knowing what we know about final fantasy 7 i'm genuinely curious and again i don't think there is a right or wrong answer just something to think about i've got one last small thing that's really quick who did you guys get for your date at the gold saucer i got Aerith. unfortunately I, i like Aerith is great but i felt like it was the very basic date choice i was really i was really trying to get barrett for my date um i maxed <laughs> out his friendship but he did not show up at my my hotel oh room. you hate to see it i got tifa you got tifa I got yeah. tifa as well yeah and that's yeah. like i'm i'm fine with that <laughs> you know i had to do it to <laughs> I'll, go, I'll go on a date with tifa i'll take it uh-huh. <laughs> hey whoa anyway on that note um yeah, Final Fantasy VII Rebirth. It is it is a massive, huge game. There's lots to talk about. We'll probably be talking about more of it. Uh, Michael, thank you so much for joining us. Where can people find you? You can find me and all my stuff at Michael P. Hyam on Twitter or at Hyam Michael on Instagram. And you can check out my some of my work on IGN.com, hit video game website, and uh, GameSpot.com uh, every now and then as well. You know what I'm saying? They're still the homies, so uh, I'm out there doing it. All right. Well, thank you so much for hopping on. Nick, Jada, always a pleasure as usual. And on that note, uh, beyond. 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 Hi, my name is Jenny Owen Youngs. And I am Kristen Russo. And together we run Buffering, a rewatch adventure. 
a family of podcasts moving through our favorite 90s genre television. If you're a fan of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, well, great news for you. Our very first podcast adventure took us through all seven seasons of the series. We covered it spoiler-free, episode by episode. For those of you who want to start the show for the first time, you can find that podcast pretty easily. It's called Buffering the Vampire Slayer. Inside that podcast, you'll also find an original song that pairs with each glorious episode of Buffy and original character jingles for so many of our Buffy favorites. Buffering has been praised in places like Time, Esquire, Paste Magazine, and the New York Times, and we've chatted with dozens of cast members, writers, directors, and fans along the way. Come hang out and rewatch some of your favorite television with us and a wonderful community of listeners. Learn more at BufferingCast.com or find us on socials at BufferingCast.